So I want to start off the episode today, guys, with a little bit of follow-up, if that's okay. One of these items is is a very selfish piece of follow-up, but I want to address it anyway. <laughs> you call uh, it selfish? <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it was <laughs> okay. completely related to my own interests as opposed to the interests of most people. This show is about me. <laughs> At least one section, one, okay. one small section. Um, but I think, first off, let's just, like, there was a Splatoon Direct, a Splatoon 2 Direct, um, Splatoon 2 is, what, like a week away? Something like that? Really? Yeah, July 21st. Oh, man, I totally lo- lost track of time. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I'm not surprised. So it's, <laughs> wow. a, it's about a week away. Um, and the, in the direct, they had some information about some interesting parts. One of them is, well, at least it seems that the first kind of glimpses of Nintendo's online service will be coming with Splatoon 2. There's uh, there's going to be a Nintendo Switch online app, which will drop on the same day, which includes in it Splatnet 2, which is like um, a little network that Nintendo have built for Splatoon. So it has mm. like, it lets you keep track of stats and rankings. It's where you set up private lobbies and it supports all the game voice chat. So really okay. this feels like all of the um, all of the stuff that the smartphone app is going to do, the Nintendo Switch online service ah. app, will be mostly in function for Splatoon 2 directly, right? Because then all of this stuff will be coming later in the year with the full mm. service, you know, with it becoming a paid service next year. It's basically like a test at scale. It feels like it. Yeah. Yeah. Because the way that Nintendo kind of announced it initially, it just sounded like it was going to be a separate app called Splatnet. And, but then there was clarifications which seemed to, to indicate that, that it's actually going to be the Nintendo Switch online app, which will include the Splatoon stuff inside of it. So we're going to start getting our first glimpses of what Nintendo's service is going to look like. This is including, you've seen this um, this voice chat headset yeah. thing right <laughs> yes. Shahid, have you yeah. seen this this thing that horror is making no so no, no. tell me tell okay me more. so because of the way that nintendo is doing um their online <laughs> service right all of the this voice is difficult to explain <laughs> it's very difficult I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to the actual product and i'll put it in our show document as well so you could take a look at it because of the way nintendo is doing the voice chat stuff Everything has to kind of be done via the app, right? So me and you will be talking via the app. Now, if you want to be able to use a headset where you can hear game audio and audio from the phone, you need something to sit in the middle of it all. And Hori are creating this headset with this rudimentary piece of audio equipment that has two like a headphone jack and a like headphone jack on each end of it kind of looks like it's modeled to look like a squid right which is i think is kind of cute one of the headphone jacks goes into your phone the other goes into the switch and you then plug some headphones into the other side of this so it acts as kind of an audio bridge between it all it's a little bit of a nightmare i think um honestly uh, but at least the headphones, it, it comes with some headphones which have a long cable on them, like a 1.2 meter cable. So you would be able to like plug your phone and your switch in on the table with the TV, I guess, and then have the headphones. It, it's a weird piece of equipment. <laughs> it's a weird piece of hardware to solve a problem created by software, basically. It's, it's, it's a very strange thing. 
if you have an iPhone 7, you also got to add uh, lightning to headphone jack adapter. Oh, my God. To the oh, mix. So it's like, I hadn't it's even a, thought of that. You're, yeah. basically, you're basically recreating uh, an audio shop on your desk just mm-hmm. to play Splatoon 2 with an iPhone. It's it is called the amazing. Splat and Chat headset. Now, I have pre-ordered this. <laughs> this, this Splat and Chat? <laughs> Splat and Chat. I have pre-ordered this for one reason, not for the multiplayer. Just so I've been, I've been trying... No, no. I've been doing some game streaming recently, right, on Twitch, and mm. I've been streaming some Switch stuff. And I haven't been doing as much recently because I have been. I have a frustration with the uh, with all of the stuff that I have with the equipment that I have. It doesn't work great on the Mac in so much as if I want to if I want to talk over the stream, I get feedback at like a half a second delay of my own voice. Oh no! And it's a software problem. I've tried everything I can to fix it via hardware, and I'm struggling. I'm thinking that this tool actually might help me do that because it is designed to do this, to take audio from a switch, right, and a microphone and play it back. So I'm thinking I might be able to do some weird jerry-rigging to get this to work. All of the equipment I have is not doing it with reliable results, but I have this like super silly purpose-built thing that, I don't know, it might get me what I'm looking for. So that's why I've pre-ordered it, because I want to do more Twitch streaming, but I like to be able to talk and hear the game audio, and, and I haven't been able to get that to work reliably uh, with the Mac anyway. Works fine. This is Sounds one, like this... it won't be long before you need a full-on audio mixing desk, my friend. Uh, so, well, I mean, okay... We're getting into the ways. The, the kit that I have could, in theory, do this, but it would rely on me having to flick so many switches and change so many inputs. I'm not keen on doing it very often because it's my audio equipment that I kind of like to not touch. Really, what it is pushing me more towards is actually just buying a gaming PC, which I'm getting closer and closer to doing all the time. Wow. I was about to say this. I knew where this was going. <laughs> because you've been, you've been talking about this and dropping multiple hints on Cortex and your other shows. And like, I know he's going to do it. He's going to buy a PC. So, yeah. I want powerful VR and I want to be able to play mm. some games that just aren't playable on consoles or the Mac. And I'm getting closer and closer to the point where I'm just going to... Just gonna get a gaming PC. I'm either gonna buy one or I'm gonna build one. I'm most likely gonna buy one. Um, I'm. I mean, look as well. You see the Oculus um, price cut, right? It's like three hundred dollars now for yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. Like it's it's getting real. Uh, I'm getting getting real close to it. I mean, so believe it or not, I've I've turned this into that. But this wasn't the piece of selfish follow up. Um, but Splatoon two is out next week. I'm looking forward to trying it out. I I, I tell yeah. you, see, my thing about Splatoon, I really enjoyed it, but. I'm not very good at online multiplayer. But so many of my friends own Switches that I might be able to play more mm-hmm. games with just my friends, and they have a more robust single-player mode. So, I mean, I'm going to be getting oh, really? it. Yeah, they've, they've, they've actually... I know nothing about this game, so please tell me so, all you yeah, know. Yeah, there is a much more uh, story-driven, more robust single-player mode than there was in the first game. Okay. I, you know, I bought the first game. I never played it. It's still oh, in a wow. down. It, it's still in an unplayed state on my Wii U home screen. All right, we're gonna uh, play next week because okay. okay. I think you'd really like Splatoon. It's a lot of. It's a lot, a lot of fun. Plus, I, I assume I actually don't know this, but I'm assuming that there's some some better local multiplayer um, than there was in the previous version because it's the Nintendo Switch. Uh, so that would be fun for us to play at home as well. I think. 
Now, the completely selfish piece of follow-up, um, you may or may not know about me that I am a professional wrestling fan. It is my t- it's my favorite soap opera, right? That's what that's how I like I like my professional wrestling. Uh, they make games every year, right? They make wrestling games. They're they're pretty they're a pretty big deal. It's like a big multi-platform franchise has been for as long as I can remember. Well, WWE 2K18, which is this year's game, because it's played by 2K Games who make a bunch of sport games. They have announced in the past week that 2K18 is going to be on the Nintendo Switch, which is the first WWE game to be on Nintendo platforms in five years. This is a really big deal. Like this is a this is because the reason this is a big deal is that this is the full game. So not only is this a third party, it is a it is a a game that is only going to be on PS4 and Xbox One. That's all it's going to be on, and the Switch. It's the full game, and it's. Depending on where you look, some places are saying it will be out on the launch day, which is October 17th. Some places are saying it will be out in the fall. But, you know, if it doesn't come out on the 17th, it will probably be with not too much delay, definitely before the holidays. This is this is good. This is really good. This is a big third-party title. Um, and 2K games, they make so many sports games. Like I know that they, they were, that there have been teases of an NBA 2K, right, since the beginning, but there hasn't been anything more on that. Um, and this comes not too long after FIFA 18, which is coming in September. Um, mm-hmm. But FIFA 18 is not the full game. But this is the entire game. This is the full thing. So this is this is good news, right? Because it when the game was announced initially, it was only for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. So, you know, the Nintendo are able to convince these companies, I assume based on the popularity and sales of the Switch, to bring their full next-gen games to the console this is this is really exciting i think you know what's interesting to me about this is that it if you think about a switch player they're not likely to switch to a ps4 or an xbox one and if you think about a ps4 xbox one player they're not likely to move to a switch the only reason you would switch from a switch if you like if you're not you know complete all-out gaming loon um like some of us are is if you felt that there were things on the other consoles that weren't on your Switch. And so I think to a large degree, Nintendo had to do this to Mm -hmm. placate their existing customer base. And also, you know, when it comes to holiday season purchases, right, if there's a new new console going to be bought for the family, you want to make sure you get as many of these types of games as possible to make that decision easier to go Nintendo, right? Like if you're buying a game for your kid and your kid loves wrestling... He's going to want the wrestling game, right? Or she's going to want to get the FIFA game. You want to make sure you have those games so your kids are able to get them, right? Because if the, right. You know, if your daughter really wants to play FIFA and it's and she also really wants to play Mario, well, you're going to need to make a choice. And I think right now a lot of people are going to go with where they're going to get the big games. And so Nintendo have to be bringing these sorts of titles over. And I'm really excited about it. I mean, I'm really excited about it because I get to play a game that I will want to play on the console that I like to play mostly on. And a game like this, which is, you know, you, you can put a lot of hours into a game like this if you play it the way that, that it's made to be played. You know, these these games, uh, they, they have varying levels of quality year on year. But, you know, if, if you play it properly, if you play it the way that the, the developer intends, you could be putting a good 60 to 80 to 90 hours into a game like this with a lot of replay value. And also... Inherently, I could just a fantastic multiplayer experience, right? This is this is a game where you play with friends, 
the Switch is perfect. So I, I'm really excited for that reason, right? Because it's going to be on the platform that I want it to be on. And I'm. this is really good news because this is also, I assume, a game that when it, development was begun, Switch wasn't included in that. So Nintendo have been able to win them over during that period of time. And also, the game has been able to be ported for the Switch relatively easily, you'd assume. And in the meantime, of course, these publishers have seen that the Switch has actually been quite a success. Yeah. And so the numbers totally add up for them. Yep. Or oh, they wouldn't do it, right? What, you know, they're not just going to do it out of the goodness right. of their hearts, right? They're doing it because <laughs> the numbers are adding up. So I think that this is, you know, this is the type of thing that I was saying that I really wanted to see at E3, but we didn't. That this is the exact type of announcement that I wanted to see there, so I'm pleased that they're still happening. I'm assuming there's going to be another Nintendo Direct soon as well, because there are games that should be announced date-wise that haven't been. Like, I'm, I'm really still got my eye out for Stardew Valley. I've, I've been waiting and waiting, and apparently that was meant to come out in the summer. So I'm expecting that there's going to be probably another Direct soon, at least with some more dates for some of the indie games that they said would come this year. So, fingers crossed for that. I know I've been spending a ton of time the last week or two playing the Zelda DLC. Oh man, I, I'm so I'm back in. I am back yeah. in every day playing Zelda yes. again. Every night, at least a couple of hours after work is done, I need to get my my Zelda hit. Man, it's like uh, I don't know. I wasn't expect you know I wasn't expecting the DLC like the the meaty part of the DLC, the Trial of the Sword. I wasn't expecting it to be this difficult, and it kind of shocked me. It it's not yeah. a it's not an easy DLC at all. No. Uh, like the, the you know the trial of the sword is the is a, it was basically advertised as you need to complete forty five rooms mm-hmm. full of enemies and you are all 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 of your items and weapons and you know clothing is removed and you need to steal or to find uh, food and weapons and you know to. It's basically like that mission on the island, uh, but over 45 rooms. And I was assuming, well, if it's 45 rooms, it has to be kind of an easy challenge because it's a lot of rooms. Yeah, I went through a bunch of different stages of this. Like when I first heard about it, I was like, yeah, I can do that. Like, no problem. Yeah. I, can, I can do that, right? Like, <laughs> sure. I've done stuff like this, you know, I can do that. And then I find out, oh, but you actually, you have to do all of these and you don't get to save. And if you die... Uh-huh. You start over, and I was yeah. like, mm, "I don't like this." But then I found yeah. out some more information. And the basically, you you cannot keep any item. Uh, you can keep status uh, uh, like the the boosts, or you know, like attack boosts or defense. Yeah, you can set right like before yellow hearts. You, know, you can give yourself yeah. a good heart potion or a good strength potion or a defense potion. You can set that and then go into the kind yeah. of chamber or whatever you'd call it, and you can keep those. But you don't get yeah. to take any weapons in with you. Yeah. And it's organized in three different levels of difficulty. So there's the beginner trials, the middle trials, and the, I don't know, I guess the master trials at the end. And it's uh, I think it's set up in 12, 16, and whatever the difference is uh, to reach 45. I think 18 maybe, I don't know. I'm, I'm not good at mathematics. Um, and it's really difficult. Uh, so it starts off easy. So you're like... Every room, it's kind of a VR set in a way, like every room is a different scenario, different location. There are multiple recurring themes, like there's the forest, there's some levels in the dark, uh, there's one that looks like a, like 
you know, the puzzles in the shrines. Uh, but every room is different and you sort of go through each room and once you complete it, you step onto a blue ring and you move on to the next room. Um, and they don't, you know, it's not easy at all. Uh, it's unforgiving. And the worst part is if you, as it happened to me last night, I was trying the middle trials because I'm done with the beginner trials now. And the middle trials, I reached the final boss and I died at the final boss after, after like 45 minutes to reach the 16th level. I just died because it was too hard for me. And it's sort of, it's making me reevaluate my current status in Zelda in general. Like, I, I think I don't have enough hearts, so I need to do more shrines, which kind of, I think this was all done. It's like a, a whole master plan because it, Nintendo knows that people like me are going to be in this situation of like, well, look at that. I need more hearts. And then what do I do? I go back into the main map. And what's on the main map? Hero's Path, which is this which new is, feature. This is, this is the, the seller of the DLC for me. Yeah. Because I've been able to go into Hero's Path, which is this mode where you bring it up and it shows your last couple of hundred hours of play or whatever. It shows a highlight on the map of everywhere you've been. And I have found so many areas that I have just never been to. Like huge chunks of the map that I've never explored. So I have been spending the last two weeks exploring parts of Hyrule that I'd never seen before. And this is what's getting me back into Zelda in a big way because I'm finding new things, I'm finding new items, and I'm, I'm hitting new shrines. Like, this is just... It's been so much fun for me because my favorite thing about Breath of the Wild is exploring the world, and I'm getting so much more of the world to explore again. Yeah, and then I realize now it's... Uh, so I took a different approach. I just jumped right into the Trial of the Sword, and I... Now I realize I should do that instead for now. I should be exploring the map, sort of take a uh, you know take a break from trying to do the middle trials, go back into the areas that I haven't explored. I know there are plenty because I looked it up on the map. Maybe I should set some pins on the map, go there, explore, find doing. more yep. shrines, and collect more hearts, and then try again. Because right now I only have basically one complete row of oh, hearts. Oh, that's nowhere near enough, man. And yeah, I've been... Uh, you know, the beginner trials, I completed that just like right on the edge because I had a heart potion with basically 10 extra quote-unquote fake hearts like the yellow ones are not replenishable so uh, I need to get more real ones so I can when I consume food in during trials it actually replenishes my health so I need to explore more and I need to look up you know the areas that I haven't been to using Nero's path yeah this is great DLC I mean you know, I I would like some more of the map to explore, and I guess that's kind of what's coming in the DLC later in the year, right? Like at least when they first kind of spoke about this, they get, they gave a hint that there was going to be like a new dungeon or something. There's there's going to be more to see there, so I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, it's been great. Have you collected any of the items at all? Uh, I uh, I collected the, the Phantom armor. I think the Phantom suit. Yeah, I me call, too. The three pieces, but uh, I actually had to. So, so you know, when you start these uh, sub-quests, um, you go usually to talk to a character that gives you a hint as to where the location of the item is. And so I had an idea of where the, the, these different items would be, but to, as extra confirmation, I kind of had to look it up on a, on a walkthrough online. That's totally fine. I do that too. Mm. It kind of makes me feel guilty every time, but, you know. Look... Oh. You that you've got limited time to play these games. Yeah. Don't spend your time being frustrated. 
if you've if you this is how I think of it. If I've spent enough time on my own trying to find it and I can't find it, I just need to get the answer so I can move along. Because otherwise, I'm just going to get annoyed. Shahid, what do you think about stuff like that? Do you do you agree with that? Totally and utterly cool. Um, you know, you have to, the the designers have responsibility to create a game that appeals to as many people as they're trying to reach. Now, not everyone is trying to make a mass market game, but something like Zelda is meant to be mass market. Now, you're both smart gamers. You've played trillions of games. You know how to do this. And if you're getting frustrated, needlessly so, then your fun is disappearing. It's totally legitimate to, you know, to to access that shortcut through that frustration to get to where the value and the fun is. It's not like you stop enjoying the game just because you... Um, you had a look at some play guide i've done it before I, I wouldn't have finished some games had it not been for play guides and you know i look at the puzzle and what it is I, I i have a think afterwards once i've done it and i go would i have found that out had i carried on playing and the answer's often no you know it's just sometimes it's just so opaque and i think well okay that's totally fine and on those occasions when the answer has been, yeah, I probably would have worked it out, but I would have hated the game so much by then that it would ruin the rest of the experience. You don't want that. So I think it's just a case of one size doesn't really fit all. And sometimes you just want a little adjustment. It's like an off the off the shelf suit. Sometimes for it to fit really nice, you need some adjustments done. And that's totally cool. It's not cheating. Plus a friend, a good close friend of mine uh, writes game guides so I also feel a little bit good every time I go to one because I'm like, well, I'm keeping him in a job. <laughs> right? Wow. So every time I go to one, I'm like, well, this is fine because, you know, if I, if I get that other feeling of, well, you know, people need to go to these game guides so people can start keep writing game guides so I get that good feeling of, yep, I'm doing it. It's good. For me, it's an indication that the design is not perfect. That's all it is. You know, in a perfectly designed game, there would not be any situation where any player would be totally blocked. So this is just a way of supporting the design. Yeah. That's why, well, I mean, that is why, you, I mean, I have it, Federico, you have it as well, that, that beautiful book that was released with the game. Yeah. The, the big guide. You know, Nintendo worked with that company to, let, mm -hmm. to have that come out day and date. Still makes me feel guilty every time I open it to look something up because it's like I'm supposed to be a skilled player that doesn't need you know secrets revealed. <laughs> um, I'm supposed to know this stuff on my own to to be good at this game instead of opening a book. I feel like my dad reading the instructions of a new device. <laughs> like I don't need a manual. I can do this. And like no, no, you don't have enough time. So you better look it up, son. You're not gonna be able to to do it. Uh, it's a it's a beautiful guide, so that makes me feel less guilty because it's a beautiful book. I, I really wouldn't. Uh, you're not to blame, completely not to blame. You know, you you are a skilled player. You are not turning into an old man. Yeah, yeah, not not for a good few decades yet. Your time limited. That's all it is. <laughs> yeah, mm. that's it, man. All right. Uh, before we move on, I take a quick break and just mention something that I don't think we've ever spoken about on this show. If you enjoy Remaster and want to support it financially, you can. Um, you can go to our page at relay.fm slash remaster, and you'll see there there's a couple of buttons, and you can give us money every month from as little as $5 a month. 
And if you do, you become a Relay FM member. And Relay FM members get a bunch of benefits. Like you get a couple of special members on the shows. Every year in August, there are bonuses of some of our shows, and you get those as well as sneak peeks and extras just for Relay FM members. So if you go to relay.fm slash membership, you can find out more. But if you go to our page at relay.fm slash remaster, there you can see the support this show buttons, and you can give us some money if you want. You don't have to. But if you do, there are some added benefits and bonuses um, that only our members get. So we appreciate your support if you are already giving to the show, or if you decide to sign up, we would really appreciate it. Shahid, what is PlayLink? You you mentioned this, like you're like, oh, I want to talk about PlayLink today, and me and Federico are kind of like, ah, okay. <laughs> I was like, I saw Shahid tweeting about PlayLink. I was like, I was like, hey, I I totally I think PlayLink is cool. I was like, what is PlayLink? <laughs> what is he talking about? Like, I have no idea. Uh, and then I realized it was. I think, Mike, it was because we were at WWDC when mm-hmm. this was announced, or maybe it was the E3 week. But we kind of we were in a sort of news haze, and we missed this. Maybe I don't know. Well, there was uh, a video reveal. It wasn't actually done during the presser, which is why a lot of people missed it. There were a few uh... things that were not done during the presser, and PlayLink was one of them. And the the reason it intrigued me is because a few years ago when I was at PlayStation, one of the things that we discussed was when we've managed to reach the core audience, how do we then start to broaden the audience? And I think we've mentioned it a few times on the show before, that this is a very typical scenario. Console manufacturers start with a very dedicated core audience, and they then they gradually broaden the audience they have more software available hardware prices come down uh, they are bought by more people consoles get handed down to younger members of the family and so on anyway so that's one way of broadening the audience but the other is just to make it a bit friendly and a bit more accessible so one of the things that we tried to do at strategic content a few years ago was to try and get some developers to work on games that would somehow incorporate mobile phone usage into uh, a ps4 game and this wasn't so much second screen as first screen with the ps4 almost acting like the second screen the problem was that at the time the tech was really uh, very opaque and it was very difficult to do so when this came out when this was announced i was delighted because to me what it signaled was clearly the boffins at playstation had managed to figure out a way of cracking this problem and making it so that your smart device be it a phone or a tablet could communicate with the ps4 in real time and offer really good controls for a much more accessible experience so although they haven't made it very clear what playlink is it's clearly it's just a brand but it's also in my understanding a set of technologies that allow very clean simple straightforward communication i hope between (laughs) smart devices and the ps4 I have no idea uh, about the actual library, and even if I did, I wouldn't be allowed to say because of confidentiality, but I would imagine that with some of the earlier developers who were on board, including the likes of Supermassive who made Until Dawn, that to begin with, it would have been a bit difficult, and gradually, as the second-party developers has, uh, have started to work on this tech, that it's become more and more robust to the point where I can't imagine it'll be too long before third parties are able to use it. This reminds me of the Jackbox Party Pack. Hmm. Are you familiar with that? 
it rings a bell. So Jackbox is a series of like it's on a bunch of different platforms. It's on the Switch. It's like uh, word games, game show like games that you play, trivia and stuff like that. But you, everybody plays it with their phone. You go to a website, you put in a code, yeah, and yeah, you yeah. play. Yeah, right. So yep. it's kind of like that. But this does look significantly more advanced as to what you're able to do. Like, for example, SingStar. Everybody remembers SingStar. Now you can play it with your phone, which I think is kind of awesome. Uh, so, you, so it, you know, it can pick up stuff like audio, where Jackbox is just a case of, like, you will press what you think the answer is and stuff like that. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah I, th- I think the improvement here from a technological perspective is that PlayLink uses Wi-Fi instead of Bluetooth. And so you have a lot more bandwidth. And it sounds to me like all of the controller info from the phone, like accelerometer data, gyroscope data, and so on, can be sent in real time for up to five players, or rather five devices, that are connected to the same Wi-Fi network to the PS4. Which allows six players total, right, I think? Right. It looks like, yeah. Yeah. So, the other thing to bear in mind is that what happens with PlayLink is you have to download a phone, uh, uh, an app onto your phone or your or your uh, tablet from the respective store. So you know App Store for um, iPhone, for example, and it's just a regular app or a regular game, except that there's a way for it to connect to the PS4. So it's no different from any other app. Um, I, I guess the question is why they felt, why PlayStation felt that they had to do PlayLink. And again, it goes back to finding a way of broadening the appeal of PS4. Not necessarily broadening the audience as such. It might be that they already have the audience, but people just find it intimidating. So in that respect, I think just making it more accessible, you know, because this is one of the things that we've talked about before as well, is that a a traditional controller is really an intimidating device. And over the years, it's become more and more intimidating. And I know kids have no problem picking it up, but there are a lot of people out there who'd like to play and who do still find the traditional controller somewhat intimidating. And even if they don't find it intimidating, they just don't have the time because they don't spend as much time playing games as people who are committed gamers. They don't want to spend like the first couple of hours getting pounded by their mates because they just don't understand the controls. So in providing a really familiar interface via a phone or a tablet, nobody's really at a massive disadvantage and of course you have far more people out there with smartphones than with traditional yeah um dual shock style controllers you well know? then even you know if you're having a party and you've got five friends over you don't need to have five dual shock fours if everybody wants to play a party game exactly and they'll all have a phone you know yeah. and and what is it that, that people do when they come over to your place they ask for the wi-fi password Right, So they're already onto your Wi-Fi network. The likelihood is they've been there before. And even if they haven't, it takes two seconds to enter the Wi-Fi password. It just gives you more opportunities for social play. I think that that's the key thing. That if you've got people over, you haven't presented this massive barrier. You've presented a very low barrier. You just tell people, you know, download this app and let's play this together. And now we have a common playground, if you like, in which to enjoy these apps. And that playground is a big screen. The primary interface is a phone. You know, it's not the secondary interface. It's not second screen in the traditional sense. And the other thing is, it it just gives you a different kind of setting for play. You know, so let's say you don't get together with 
a certain bunch of friends or family more than a few times a year. And you get together, you're not going to play a traditional video game necessarily, especially if there's a few of you. But there's no reason why you couldn't all sit down and play a much more casual experience or even a more intense experience, providing that the interface is not intimidating. And most people aren't intimidated by their smartphones. So I think that's why they've done it. It just increases the opportunities for play. It's less intimidating. It's much more approachable. And it's definitely more social. Hmm. So you mean people don't usually get together a couple of times a year. They sit down and they're like, here, let's do some shrines together. That's not a thing. It's not, it's not a, okay, good to I know. Think, I think that's, that's the hero's journey. And mm. I know we have two heroes on this we're, we're show no right now. We're no, we're no heroes, man. We use guides. But no, seriously, so, so, the, so the idea here is not to, to replicate a dual shock on the iPhone screen, but it's like totally new original games controlled by the iPhone. So it's not like, here, have some simplified controls for Call of Duty on your phone and sort of using you know, virtual buttons and stuff. It's a new series of games made specifically for this. Absolutely. Should we talk about some of these games? Yeah, yeah. please. Yeah. So they, they announced a few. Um, I think the, the one that's most notable right now is called That's You. And the reason it's most notable is because it's being pushed pretty hard and it's currently free to PS Plus subscribers. So if you've got PlayStation Plus, you should download that now and then check it out on your iPhone. But that's you can see that's a very social game. There's hiding of stuff going on. There's picture taking. There's modification of those pictures. You know, it has a lot of the tropes you'll you'll find in uh, sharing applications mm. and social networks and so on. But it's done in a much more intimate social setup. And that's that's quite neat. It doesn't use the traditional type of mechanic. And it's not the sort of thing that you could play on a DS4 at all. You, you know, you, you'd need a smartphone, a smartphone-style play, but with uh, much more interesting stuff going on because of the shared screen. You know, I'm looking at the video and it looks great. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it looks fun. Nice. Uh, there's, I think there might even be a video with uh, Shu playing it. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so check that one out. That's quite funny. Uh, Shu and uh, some other members of the uh, xdev team as well i think pete smith is in there i'm not sure you'll you'll have to check it out um and then there's hidden agenda by the absolutely brilliant supermassive uh the these are the developers of until dawn they've done this kind of interesting tense thriller where there's some kind of murderer around and uh you've got to do some questioning and and so on but it kind of reminds me of a dark board game but much more modern uh, I'm not doing it justice by calling it a dark board game. Obviously, it's a video game, but it's just, it's very nice. It's like murder game show kind mm -hmm. of thing. Uh, it doesn't have a game show feel to it, but it, you are obviously in a game and it's it's a diff very different experience. I don't think it's particularly long, but I'm really looking forward to that one. Then, you know, the other thing you said uh, earlier was you mentioned playing st uh, something like Call of Duty uh, on a phone would be a complete mistake and you're absolutely right but something like frantics that uses uh, accelerometer and gyro and apparently people have said that that's really responsive so that i'm looking forward to trying out just to see if that works i mean sure you could use the accelerometer and the gyro on a ds4 but how many times you can have five ds4s in a room you know yeah. and how, yeah. how many times you can have people who know how to use it see the thing is even if you're one of those people who has um a, 
a cupboard full of DS4s for your friends to play on when they come around. If you have these friends coming around, they're not gamers. They're not going to know what to do. They're not going to care. You're going to be the one that's winning. And within two minutes, it's not going to be fun anymore. Yeah. Plus, I mean, when you, if you buy a lot of controllers and most of the time they sit there uh, unused, it's just a sad reminder that the, you know your friends don't come to your house very often. <laughs> it's like, why would you buy five controllers and just keep them there looking at you and subtly judging you? It's like Sorry, no. have, have you been to my house? <laughs> How many controllers do you have? <laughs> uh, five. <laughs> Maybe six. I don't know. Uh, and most of them have no charge because, yeah, life. You know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so am I. <laughs> now, definitely. I mean, using the the iPhone on you know another smartphone, it's it seems like a great idea to me in the sense of kind of. I mean, first it removes the pressure of teaching other people, uh, you know, to use a controller, which besides being a waste of time, you know, you need to set everything, you know set everyone up uh, and it kind of feels like you're you know kind of being condescending to someone else like hey make sure to hit this button you, know, you don't want to feel like that uh, but also it kind of unlocks I mean I was watching the video it unlocks a different set of features that you wouldn't normally get on a dual shock like you can draw on screen and you can touch the screen you have like an additional interface that goes back into the game on the big TV screen so it feels to me like for party games, this is a great idea. Um, and, I, you know, it kind of surprises me that we haven't had this kind of multiplayer before. I mean, maybe to an extent, uh, folks like Microsoft, they try to do stuff with phones and tablets with the smart glass type of stuff. But that was more about second screen rather than shared multiplayer. So I'm, I'm both surprised and actually curious to check this out now. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited about it because I I believe that games should be more accessible to more people. You know, I, I love the social side of things. One of the reasons I loved the whole Switch thing from before it was launched was as soon as I realized that you could have two players simultaneously. I just loved that idea. I'm so, so, so a fan of local multiplayer. And using smartphones just makes local multiplayer so much more accessible, even more so than the Switch, which is, if you think about it, really quite a surprising thing to say, but makes total sense. And going back to the games, I mean, a couple more social games, ones that you would expect are SingStar Celebration. Uh, and then there's, and, and I think with SingStar Celebration, you use a phone as a mic, though I might not sure, but I might be right. You could correct me in saying that they might have used the phone as uh, a mic input before but they might they have used did. bluetooth so it wouldn't the, have been the, as good the last full singstar game yeah you bought the disc but it didn't come with microphones anymore it used the phone use the phone right yeah. and but i think they use bluetooth right. for that so it wouldn't have been as good so now they're using wi-fi I've, i would imagine it's going to be better and the last one is knowledge is power and that's kind of like a, a much more uh, traditional type of quiz sort of thing uh, where players move on to different choices and so on. Um, so I, I wanted to talk about some of the mechanics, and we already covered a lot of the mechanics, but some of the things that can happen as a result of you using the smartphone or tablet as your interface instead of a traditional controller is you can do things like team up and uh, and set up rivalries and so on. And by communicating with players who are nearby via your screen discreetly, and that 
also points to the idea that you can hide information. You know, this is a key mechanic in so many traditional uh, board games in the past. You know, you hide your information, you hide your move. But the problem with the DS4 is not so much that you can't hide your move. You can. It's just that it's a very physical and therefore limited move. Whereas on a smartphone, your move can actually be very complex, but it can be done in a very, very simple way. So if you take something really simple, I'm not saying this is something that people should do, but if you take a game like Battleships, for example, you know, you're hiding the layout of where your ships are. To arrange those ships is not something you'd want to do using a DS4. You'd probably have to use a screen for, for that and you'd have to tell people yeah. to turn away and so on. Hey, look at, look away now because I'm just <laughs> setting up my exactly. ships. <laughs> but... But, you know, that's a very simple way of illustrating the idea that information hiding has been present in board games for, I would imagine, millennia. I don't know how long board games have been around, probably a very, very long time. Um, maybe before there were such things as boards, maybe on stones and so on. Anyway, I digress. So the other thing is, I, I kind of hinted at this with my last point, but really the idea that you can set up very complex input to a game for example, text. You know, you could type in a whole bunch of text. You're not really not going to want to do that with your DS4, but you could also set up compound moves. You could set up compound instructions. You can drag and drop stuff to to construct something before sending it off. These yeah. are just ideas off the top of my head, but the idea simply is that because you have your own private screen, you can queue up or even direct stuff in a very complex way but a very intuitive way before the other players get to see it and of course the main thing for me is that it's just so social in that players can join very very easily they can leave very easily all without having to have special equipment well that is what makes it doable right for a lot of people yeah. in in family settings party settings like this is exactly what you want i'm pleased to see more stuff like this just because for for me, when we've been entertaining, Jackbox Party Pack has been such a hit. Um, I'm happy to see more of these types of games popping up. 